This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it's great to see you this morning. You're joining online. So glad you chose to tune in. Hey, uh, so today we're gonna talk about marriage, and it's not gonna be the easiest message to preach or the easiest message to hear or the easiest message to live out. So I thought we'd just laugh a little bit first. Let me share with you some fun marriage quotes. Marriage is a wonderful institution, but who wants to live in an institution? Groucho Marx. We were married for better or worse. I couldn't have done better, and she couldn't have done worse. Who identifies with that? (laughs) The great philosopher Chris Rock said, only married people can understand how you can be miserable and happy at the same time. (laughs) Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. Hey, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is hard for our Western ears to hear and hard to understand, hard to wrap our heads around, and it's, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about submitting to the government. You guys loved that, and so now we're gonna go to whole new levels of things that are hard to hear, and so uh, as we talk about marriage, you know, Claire and I have been married going on 25 years. It'll be 25 years in July, Um, and listen, we were, we were super young when we got married. We didn't know much about how to have a good marriage. And, and I'd say that the last 25 years have been mostly good to great. And, and, and each year, our love deepens and grows. But listen, we still don't have this thing figured out. If you think that you have got your marriage totally going awesome, go from having three kids to six kids overnight, and you'll realize we have some room to grow. And, and so that's, we, we recognize that marriage takes a ton of work. We don't have it all figured out. Um, But let's look at what the Bible has to say in 1 Peter chapter three. It says, and I wanna tell you this, some of this is gonna be hard to hear. I wanna challenge you, just some of the things it's gonna say, it's gonna be like, oh, I can't even wrap my head around that, you're gonna kind of close off. I wanna encourage you, just give me 35 minutes, have an open heart, see what God might have to say to you. 1 Peter chapter three, verse one. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So he's, uh, he's, he's building off what he talked about. He talked about a few weeks ago, submitting to the government, and then uh, talked about kind of the employer-employee relationship. Now he's kind of the basic building block of society, marriage. And what he says is he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So he's clarifying, he's not, he's, what he's not saying is every woman should submit to every man. He's saying, submit yourselves to your own husbands. We'll talk about that in a minute, what that means. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, by the behavior of their wives. And so what we're gonna see, Peter's doing two things. One is there's some basic principles of marriage that that we'll see line up with some of the stuff we see other places in the New Testament. But, But one thing he's definitely doing is he's talking specifically to these wives who were married to someone that, that wasn't a follower of Jesus, which in this culture, the idea of a, a wife leaving the, the faith of her husband and joining another faith was completely revolutionary and would have put these wives in incredible risk. And so he, he's saying that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment 
such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Some people have taken this passage as an indication that women, Christian women shouldn't try to look nice, as if there's some greatness that comes with just being ugly. And, 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 there's a, and that's not what he's saying here. In fact, the New King James Version, I like how it says, your beauty should not come merely from outward adornment. Say, hey, it's great to try to look nice on the outside, but your priority should be to look nice on the inside. He says, rather, it should be that of your inner self. He's saying, as much effort as you give to, to trying to look nice on the outside, put more effort in trying to, to, to grow on the inside. He says, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, that word quiet can easily be just better translated peaceful or calm, which is of great worth in God's sight, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves in. Really what, what Peter's saying, one of his big messages, is he's saying don't put your hope in your uh, external appearance because that's gonna fade. Uh, the Bible tells us charm is deceitful and beauty is vague. The, the, the uh, older you get, no, everyone's looks, no matter how much you spend, begin to fade. He says, but there's this inner beauty that actually can continue to grow through your whole life. He says, don't put your hope in your looks. Don't put your hope in, in a man. Put your hope in God, is what he's saying, who used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Now, ladies, if your husband asks you to call him Lord, you are married to a narcissist. That's what that means. Congratulations. Now, that word Lord can, uh, obviously, sometimes that word Lord means, speaking of God, other times it would just be better translated sir. It's a term of respect. And it's funny that uh, Peter is choosing to talk about Abraham and Sarah because Abraham was by no means like this model great husband that never messed up. He messed up big, but, Abraham, but Sarah still had this basic respect for him. He says, you're her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now that word weaker is primarily speaking of, of in most of the time, most marriages, the husband is physically stronger than the wife. Now I can point out about a half dozen cases at Life Church where I'm convinced that's the opposite. You want my list? Just see me afterwards. I got a little list I keep. Pretty sure she could take him. Um, and that's the name of my list. Pretty sure she could take him. And, uh, and so he said, what he's saying is he said, don't, don't cause the fact that, that you're physically stronger. Don't use that as a, as a source of intimidation. And we'll talk more about what that means in a little bit. He says, but treat her with respect and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayer. And so he, he, there's a lot here. We're gonna do our best to, to get through it. And, and just so you know, I don't make this stuff up. The thing about preaching through books of the Bible is it's like, hey, here it is. I guess we're talking about this this week. And so don't shoot the messenger. Shoot someone else. Um, <laughs> to the women, he says, don't put your hope in your body. Don't put your hope in a man. Put your hope in God. And as you take on the character of Jesus and trust God, choose to lovingly submit to your husband. To the man, he says, don't use your physical strength or your position to intimidate your wife, to selfishly get what you want, but rather put her needs before your own. And so here's the thing. To our Western American 2021 ears, th this is a radical message, but I want you to understand this. This message was actually more radical then than it is now. 
that this message, that the first people were hearing this letter written, that they would have had their minds absolutely blown. And so when it was initially being read in this church, there was men, there was women, there was husbands, there was wives, there was children, there were single people. And, and, and when this passage came out, when it begins with, and wives, submit to your husband, every wife there just would not have even paid much attention, just would have nodded along like, well, of course, that's what we've always seen done. That's what our, that's what our mom did, our grandma did, our aunt did. Our, 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 that's, what, that's just the nature of our, our society is that the women have virtually no rights and are treated just barely above property. In fact, in the, in the Greco-Roman world, there, there was this thing called the patria potestas. It speaks of the father's power, and that really meant that the man really was the king of his own castle and that he really could have any of his kids put to death at any moment which really reduced all the back talk. <laughs> Everyone behaves better in that environment. And so a, a, a girl growing up, her, her father would have been this ultimate authority, and then one day she would get married, and, and, then a, and in this situation, she still would have very few rights, what would be really just very much a, in a subservient position. And so when, when Peter says, wives, submit to your husbands, none of the, the other ladies are even paying attention. They're like, well, obviously, that's just how it has to be. If I don't do that, my, my husband's going to divorce me, leave me penniless, or even worse. And, and so there was nothing revolutionary in that. But when he said, now, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect, that when these husbands were told to respect their wives, it would have blown their minds. It would, everyone's like, well, wow, we've never thought about doing that before. I thought she was just here to, to, to wait on me and to serve me and to do what's good for me. And so now I'm supposed to respect her. I'm supposed to be considerate to her. I'm supposed to see her as an equal. He says, and he says as, as a, a, the, the partner as heirs of this life, as heirs of this kingdom, as heirs of eternal life. And so this, this clarity that, that Peter's saying is, is that, men, for all of your life, you might have seen yourself as, as, as more than women and women somehow subservient, but I want you to know that, that in this kingdom, the ground is level at the cross and that she is your heir, she is your equal. This would have absolutely blown the minds of everyone listening to this. This was an absolutely radical idea. See, the command of wives was normative. The command of husbands was absolutely revolutionary. The idea of a husband seeing the wife as an equal that he must consider as a co-heir was absolutely radical. It's really just like in Ephesians chapter 5. So in Ephesians chapter five, Paul is giving a similar teaching about marriage, and in this context, again, what Paul says, when we read it to our Western ears, we're like, wow, that, that seems so radical to expect a wife to, to be like this, but again, when they were initially reading this and hearing this, that the radical piece was for the husbands. Let me show this to you. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and so Paul's laying the groundwork that, that, that there's gonna be two pieces to this relationship, but at the root of it, there is this, this mutuality to it. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. He's not saying that you treat them like they're Jesus, but because of your submission to Jesus, that, that, that now you are, are submitting to your husband. Talk more about that, what that means in a minute. For the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior, 
Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here's what, here's what it is. So these wives are hearing this message that would have been the message that they'd always seen, always heard their whole life, this submit to your husband's thing. But, but then this, these husbands are being told, love your wives the way Jesus loves us and gave himself up for us to the point of dying. And so really, again, the ante is higher for the husbands than it is for the wives. The wives are simply asked to do willingly out of, from a heart of reverence to God, they're to do willingly what they would have been forced to do anyway. To do willingly from a point of choice and love what they would have been forced to do at a risk of their life going poorly. But the husband is challenged, hey, love your wife so much that, that you would give yourself to her, for her, even to, the sense of the, to, even to giving your life in death, like Jesus gave himself up for us. It's this radical kind of teaching. And then, and then skipping ahead, and, and it says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, because he who loves his wife loves himself. This is the original statement of saying, happy wife, happy life. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. And then he quotes from, from Genesis, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That this oneness in marriage, that, that, that we, because God's made us one, that, that what is good for, for her is actually good for me because God has created this oneness. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let me give you a few quick thoughts on submission. Submission means I choose to yield my desires, rights, or privileges to another. Submission does not mean inferior. It is not about value or worth. How do we know this? We know that submission isn't about value or worth because Jesus submitted. We, we see this in John 6, 38. It says, Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Is Jesus somehow inferior to the Father? No. Is his worth somehow less? No. But he, he chose to live a life of submission. Philippians 2, he says, rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Submission isn't about worth. It doesn't mean someone is inferior. The Christian life really is defined by submission. Submission doesn't mean that I always agree. In fact, you don't know if, if you're living in submission until you disagree. Submission is given, not demanded or forced. See, that really was this radical change here. That up until this point, wives had no choice but to submit to their husband or risk being divorced for no reason, being left penniless and destitute, or even, or, or even physical, or even death. And, and so up to this point, submission has been forced, or it really is a form of oppression. But submission is given, not demanded. Listen, if I have to regularly remind our staff, hey guys, I'm the senior pastor, that means I'm the leader. So you gotta do what I say. What that means is I'm not the leader. So husbands, if you're regularly having to tell your wife, hey, we're gonna do it my way because I'm the leader. You're not, you're not the leader then. See, submission is given, it's not forced. 
It's not demanded. It's the, this is the difference between submission that is given and submission that, that is an oppression which is demanded. The shift for husbands here is seeing their wives as equals, considering them before themselves. I like how, how the English Standard Version says it. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your lives, wives in an understanding way. What he's saying is, get to know your wife. Get to know what speaks love to her, what speaks value to her. Get, get to know well, how, how, how to love her well in an understanding way. Showing honor. That, that word honor could be, could be translated prefer. It's like prefer her. Since they are heirs with, of you, with you of the grace of life. He says, y'all are heirs together. There's an equality. There's a partnership. You are to get to know what causes her to feel loved. You are to what, are her, what makes her feel cared for and honor and prefer her. It, it's, this, it's a big deal. It, what he's saying is he's saying, make your wife feel like a priority. He says, don't use your position of, of strength to serve yourself, but use it to serve her. It was an absolutely radical teaching. A couple of things about submission. Submission is not without limits. We learned that a couple of weeks ago, looking at our relationship with the government. If someone asks you to do something that goes against what God's clearly asked us to do, we obey God, not man. Obviously, if you are in an abusive situation, ladies, if you are in a situation where you're being abused in any way, let, we, we want to help you. We, God is not, that is not God's heart for his daughters to be mistreated and abused in that way. Obviously, there are limits there. But here's the principle that's here. If you look at what, 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 what Peter's saying, what Paul's saying, there's this, wives, you, you are, are to be respectful towards your husbands. And, but, but this teaching towards the husbands is this whole other level. It's like, love your wife with this endless love to the point where you'd be willing to give your life for her. And, and, and it's, this, it's really this high calling on both, but, but this great burden of responsibility on the husbands. And so here it is. It's, it's, it's far easier to submit to a husband who is considerate and who sees you as an equal in the kingdom and who lovingly serves you and would sacrifice for you unto death. It's really a lot easier to submit in that situation. So here's what I think we're seeing here, the, the principle here. I believe what we see is, is this relationship of mutual service, respect, and love where the husband serves as a tiebreaker. I believe in a healthy marriage, 99% of the major decisions should be made together. And, and, but there are occasions, now there's lots of times where just someone just, just doesn't care that much. And you just say, hey, you make the decision. You, you know, or, or you're, if your wife says, I want to paint the house gray, and the man's like, I want to paint it red. Paint it gray. It's, so there's lots of times in marriage where it's like, hey, you care about this more than I do. We're gonna go with what you think. And then there's lots of times in marriage where it's a big decision and you, you take time and, and, and you think about it and you pray about it and you talk about it and there's a humility and, and we, talk, we talk this through and we come to a decision together. But there may be a handful of rare occasions where, where there's a big decision that has to be made and to not make a decision is to make a decision. And I believe the principle here is that in those moments, the husband is called to be the tiebreaker. I like this meme, mostly because I like this lady's face. When we got married, we agreed that I would make all the important decisions and she would make all the unimportant ones. 
Would you believe in 65 years of marriage, not one important decision? Here's the next truth. A great marriage, if you get nothing else, get this. A great marriage is about so much more than your happiness. If happiness is the highest goal for you in your marriage, you are going to be disappointed. If, if when you got married or you think about getting married or hope to get married one day, and you think, my goal is to find someone who for the next 60 years can make me happy 365 days a year, you're going to be disappointed. And no one can live under the weight of that pressure. Honestly, first 10 years of our marriage, I mostly thought Claire existed to make me happy. Claire, what if, what if you did nothing else but just think about how to make some really great meals and to make me happy in every way? And that was honestly kind of how I thought about marriage. And then realized, you know what? There's a lot more to this than, than that. And, but if, you're, if your goal in your marriage is, is that someone is going to make you happy all the time, you're going to be disappointed. See, really, what, what's really is important is that we have a bigger picture of marriage and really a far bigger picture of our life. If your number one goal in your life is your own personal temporary happiness, then, then you're gonna be chasing something that can never be fully grasped and you will find yourself ultimately unhappy and so really, it's important to have this bigger view of life. It's like, what is life ultimately about? It's not ultimately about my chasing temporary happiness. Life ultimately is about glorifying God. The old catechism said, what is the chief end of man? What is life ultimately all about? What's the purpose? And it says, the chief end of man, life's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so if I change the primary purpose of my marriage to my temporary happiness, and I change it to, to a, this is an opportunity for me to glorify God, that there's this bigger picture in marriage. And so a few things about it. It's, it's uh, your marriage affects your witness. See, what Peter's saying here is he's saying to these wives, as he's saying that the, the, the way you love your husband who doesn't yet know Jesus, the way in which you love him well is going to be more, far more effective in seeing him come to faith than you being the over-the-top Jesus talker all the time. He's saying, don't, don't be that person, but the way you love them well, it's, 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 it's showing Jesus to them, which will open door, doors for those conversations. It affects your witness to your kids. It affects your witness to the world around us. Part of these, one of these themes of 1 Peter is Peter saying, live your lives in such a different kind of way that when people around you that don't believe in Jesus see it, that they will have to slow down and say, hey, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, and I don't even know what I think if there even is a God, but when I look at that couple, the way in which they love each other even when it's hard, and the way in which they forgive each other even when they've been hurt, and, and, and the way in which she respects him even on his rough days, and the way in which he loves her to where it's clear he would do absolutely anything for her, that people slow down and say, hey, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, but the way this, the story this marriage is telling is a compelling story that causes me to slow down and say, maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. And so, so your marriage has a far bigger purpose than your own temporary happiness. Now listen, has my marriage been filled with so many moments of happiness? Yes. Is there anyone I'd rather spend time with than Claire? Absolutely not. But there's this bigger thing at stake than, than your own temporary happiness. It's living this life to glorify God in a 
telling a story that causes people to say, maybe there is something to this whole Jesus thing. It's, 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 it affects your witness. Your marriage affects your relationship with God. After he says, hey, husbands, don't use your physical strength as a means to physically intimidate your wife so that you always get your own way. He says, he says, because for you, if you do that, if you don't treat her as, a, as, a, as an heir of, you, of the kingdom with you, and if you don't respect her and prioritize her needs before your own, he says, hey, God's not gonna hear your prayers. He says, it's this big deal, this idea that I can be right with God while allowing, while not loving my spouse well. He says, this is an absolute fallacy. This is a big, big deal. There's more at stake than your personal happiness. There's this, I, I believe it's the marriage relationship in most, most of our lives that, that will be one of the biggest tools that God uses to grow us. This idea, uh, the thing is when two sinners get married, when, when man sinner marries female sinner, lady sinner, you're not playing addition in the sin game. You're playing, you're playing multiplication. And, 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 and so what happens is, is Learning to love every day, day after day after day. Someone that before you got married, their little habits were charming, but suddenly now they're not. You used to think they chewed a little bit loud, but now it's like, is there a microphone in their mouth? You used to think they were a little bit dirty, but now living with them, you're like, oh, wow. Their mom raised a slob. And learning to love that person day after day, good times and bad, little mess ups and big mess ups, learning to love like that is this giant part of, of, of God teaching us how to love like he does. There's so much more at stake than just your temporary happiness. And here's the last point and we're done. This kind of marriage is impossible without God's help. Really, what's very important is it's easy in a, in, a, in a marriage, and really in any relationship, but specifically in marriage, it's very easy to get very focused on this one moment. Or maybe you have a big disagreement, maybe even a knockdown drag out. Maybe you're more upset with your spouse than you've ever been, or more tired of just trying to have a good marriage than you've ever been. And in that moment, you're ready to throw in the towel. And I'd encourage you in those moments to take, a, take the long view. And, and for one, to think about that first day of your marriage. And to think about that moment where you looked in her eyes and she looked in your eyes and you made promises to one another, promises to, to, to love each other until death do you part, promises to love each other in sickness and in health and richer and in poor, saying, hey, in the good times and the bad times, I'm with you for the rest of this earthly life. I'm yours. And remember those promises you made to each other and, before, and to God and before your friends and family. But then also to think about that last day to, to think all of our marriages will end one day, one way or another, and to think about that first day and to think about that last day and not to get so focused in on any one day, to take this long view. But here's the thing. I believe there's a reason 
that the Apostle Paul, where in Ephesians 5, he starts talking about this, this relationship where a wife respects her husband, not because she's being forced to, but, but out of fear, but because she wants to, out of love for God and love for her husband, and, and this relationship where a husband loves his wife, where he would literally give his whole life for her. I, I believe the, there's a reason that just a couple of verses before, Ephesians 5, 18, he says this. He says, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. He says, don't get drunk. It's gonna make you do stupid stuff. If you're not sure if that's true, listen to country radio. <laughs> Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. See, this principle, you drink enough alcohol, it's gonna begin to control you. Paul says, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to be so filled with the Holy Spirit, yielding yourself to the person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is controlling you. And he says it's only when that happens that a wife is able to, to willingly choose to submit and respect her husband, even on his rough days. And it's only with the Holy Spirit's help that a husband can love his wife with this radical, sacrificial kind of love, even on her worst days. He's saying, you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own You might be able to, to look like you're doing it and to kind of white knuckle it for short periods of time, but the only way that she's gonna be able to do that and he's gonna be able to do that is with God's help. I believe that's the reason. He says, hey, before he starts talking about this marriage stuff, he says, hey, you really need the Holy Spirit to, who produces the character of Jesus in your life. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness. You know, all that fruit of the Spirit, that whole list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Nobody that's ever had all of that where you have a husband that's living the life of Jesus with all of that and you have a wife that's living the life of Jesus that's filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. No one's ever had a bad marriage where the husband's living the character of Jesus and the wife is living the character of Jesus, but the bottom line is we can't do it on our own. It's only with God's help. Let's pray together. fact of it is, anyone that's been married for more than just a few hours knows it's hard. And none of us have got this nailed. None of us live this out 100%. It's very possible that there's many husbands here who, if you were honest, would say, you know what? I need to repent. I need to turn away from doing the wrong thing and turn towards doing the right thing in my relationship with my wife, that I don't prefer her the way I should and I don't consider her the way I should and I don't honor her the way I should. I don't see her as an, as, as, as an equal in this, in this kingdom of God that we're living in. I'm not loving her the way Jesus loves us and gave himself for us, this sacrificial give of yourself kind of love. I'm not doing that. And some of you ladies, if you're honest, if your respect for your husband, the, way, the tone of voice you use with him, the words you use towards him, the way in which you look at him, you used to look at him like you admired him and now you 
just look at him like a disappointment and he sees that and, he, and, he, and, and what happens is it causes him to, to feel very small. And some of you ladies need to repent of that and, and, and say, I, I've not respected you the way I should and I, I, I've, not, I've not loved you the way that I should. And, and the bottom line is none of us can live this out this radical, sacrificial love, this, this choosing to submit, not because you have to, but because you want to, without God's help. And so, Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that your Spirit would produce the character of Jesus in us, in every relationship. But God, specifically that our marriages would be marked by love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. God, we just confess there's no way in the world that we could be the husbands that you've called us to be in our own strength and power, and there's no way in the world that we could be the wives that you've called us to be in our own strength and power. God, we just ask for your help, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.